past all of this by now. And this is kind of a big deal for me because as a kid growing up, I, I had the idea that pastors were pretty much perfect. And I don't know that any of my pastors ever said that. I can't imagine that any of them would have. It was just the idea that I have. My mindset was kind of, if they're the dudes up front talking, then probably they've got everything all squared away in their own lives. And I was pretty shocked when I became a pastor and realized that simply was not the case. There was no pastoral sanctification that took over the minute you became a pastor. And I would love to stand up here and say that I had everything squared away and that I was essentially perfect in my life. There'd be two problems with this. One is it would be a great big fat lie. I am way messed up at times. I strive to make progress. I feel that I'm growing spiritually and progressing in my sanctification. But I am nowhere near perfect. Second thing to be a problem is those of you who know me would know it was a lie. And the laughs that came out would then give the te- give it away to everyone else that was here. So it's just best to be up front and say that I'm flawed, I'm tempted, I'm often sinful, and I'm struggling to live out my relationship and my devotion to Jesus. Now this would be a discouraging truth. It would be an embarrassing thing to own up to in public, except there's some things that I know. And here's, here's what I know. I know that while I'm not perfect, neither are you. I know that that while I'm not better than you are, I also know that you're not really any better than I am. You also struggle with your sinful nature. At times you lose the struggle. At times you fight hard against the struggle and you still lose. There are times where your loss discourages you. And you think, surely to goodness, if I was really saved, if I was really believed the Bible, if I was really filled with the Holy Spirit, surely to goodness, by now, I would be beyond all of this. It's the way we all live. We all have to deal with the struggle that goes on within us. And like me, you've read the Bible. And you've read the places that talk about that believers should have victory in their lives. You've read Romans. Read Galatians, you know what it says. We are dead to sin. How should sin any longer have dominion over us? And there have been times in your life where you did experience victory. Where in a moment of temptation you chose to do what was right. Not once, but consistently. And you liked that time of victory. The closeness that you felt with the Lord. The Just the the awareness that it's all true, that Jesus really did die for your sins. He really is at work in your life. But those times, as great as they are, and no matter how consistent they are, they're just not as consistent as we would like. We, We want to live in perpetual victory over sin. We want the life of victory over sin not to be the occasional way of life, but to be the normal way of our life. I think that's what all believers want. That's what we all struggle with. If if we didn't want that, we wouldn't struggle. We would just give in to our sin and do whatever pleased us. But we struggle because we want to experience all that the Bible says should be ours. A series of sermons we're starting today are going to help us to do that. 
Open your Bible to Genesis chapter 4. That's, gosh, on page like 5, 6, 12, something like that in your 5, in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'll ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, now Adam knew, Adam knew Eve, his wife. And she conceived and bore a son, Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of ground. And it came to pass, in the process of time it came to pass, that Cain brought in an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel brought in the firstborn of his flock and their fat. The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that when they were out in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear, surely. You have driven me out this day from the face of the ground, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will come to pass that anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. And then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on east, on the east of Eden. The title of the message is, The Choice I Have to Make. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. God, you are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come today, God, with a great desire to know you and to make you known. We come with a desire for your Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to, to take your word and make it real into our hearts. Father, we want to live in the victory that the gospel has promised us. We want to take your word and what it says about not being slaves to sin. And God, live that out and experience that in our lives. And as we look at this passage today, help us to learn from Cain's example what we need to learn. Help us, Lord, to, to do what we ought to do to fight against the sin that, that rages within us. Father, fill me today with your Holy Spirit that I, I could speak your words and your ways. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way, but God, just give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech and let your word go forth with the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, so that our lives be changed today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, where we are in the story, Adam and Eve have sinned. They have been cast out of the Garden of Eden. And they have now begun to make a life for themselves outside of Eden. That They are, at this point, beginning to see what happens and, or what is the full consequence of their sin. Right, because their sin brought a change to the way the world worked, the way the world was. They are about to see some of the consequences of that. They move out, they go to wherever the Lord has led them to, 
and they began to raise a family. They have two sons, Cain, the oldest, Abel, his younger brother. The boys grow, and as they grow, they begin to to go into business for themselves. They go into different things. Cain becomes a farmer. Abel becomes a shepherd. And as they shepherd and as they farm, they still know the Lord. Uh, Adam and Eve had apparently taught them something about God. And so they began to understand the greatness of God, the goodness of God, and they began to bring offerings to God. And each of them naturally brings an offering of what they do. Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. He brings fruit and grains and whatever else that he raised. Abel, on the other hand, being a shepherd, he brings the first of the flock and its fat. And everything seems fine except there's a problem that arises with it. It says that the Lord did not respect Cain and his offering. The Lord accepted Abel's offering, but he he rejected Cain's. Why? Well, there's a lot of theories, but I think the best explanation comes from the New Testament. Author of Hebrews says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, and God testifying of his gifts, and though he being dead, still speaks. So, Abel, here's what we see. Abel brought a sacrifice of faith, and it was a more excellent sacrifice than the one Cain brought. So what made it a sacrifice of faith, and what made it more excellent than Cain's? Well, let's compare what we're told about the two here. With Cain, or with Abel, we're told that Abel brings the the firstborn of the flock. So the first child produced in his flock, he brings as an offering to God. This requires faith. It requires faith because he then, has to, he then has to trust that God will continue to provide. See, what Abel didn't do was, Abel didn't wait until there were multiple and then say, okay, now I'll give God one of them. The very first one that came out, he said, this one, this one I'm giving to the Lord. And it also says that he gave of, of and the fat. There's two ideas associated with giving the fat along with the sacrifice. The first is that he gave it completely. There was no part of Abel's sacrifice that he kept for himself. He didn't offer the meat or the blood or the fat. He offered all of it to the Lord. In his sacrifice, he gave God every part of this sacrifice he offered to the Lord. Also, with the fat, many times in the Bible, it, it also testified of the best. The fat of something was the best of something. Right? That's why full-fat food tastes better than low-fat food. Right? Because with the fat is the best. So Abel, in faith, offered God the first that he had. He offered God all of the sacrifice. And he offered the best that he had. Now let's notice what it says about Cain's offering. Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Cain brought an offering. It doesn't say he brought his junk. But it just says he brought an offering doesn't say he brought his best either, does it? It just says he brought something. So what we see is that Abel brought the first and the best and entirely offered it to the Lord. Cain, on the other hand, just took some. Not necessarily his best, not necessarily the first, and not necessarily all of it, and offered it to the Lord. So two things that that I note from that is faith offers God the first and the best of what we have. 
When we live by faith and we serve in faith, we offer God the first and the best of what we have. Now, if you look on the back of your bulletins, there's an outline that you can fill out if you're a person who does outlines. So faith offers God the first and the best of what we have. Now, the second thing we see is that the sacrifice of faith, this first and the best, it's, it's, it's all that God accepts. See, because Abel offered God the first and the best and God accepted it. Cain offered God some. And God rejected it. So God accepts only the first and the best of our offerings to Him. Now, I like what we see in this. Several things. One thing I want us to see is that we look at verse 6 and 7. We'll get to that in a second. Is that whatever the standard was. Cain knew what the standard was. Because when God calls him on the carpet, he he basically says to him, you knew what you were supposed to do and you didn't do it. Why are you sad? Because see, Cain, when God rejects his sacrifice, it says he was angry and his countenance fell. And what that means is he got mad and he pouted at God. And what God says to him is, you knew what you were supposed to do. And you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And now you're mad at me because I won't, exp- I won't accept this that you brought me. See, Cain had a mindset that said, God should just be glad that I offered him anything. But Cain had a mindset that said, I don't have to give God the first and the best. God should just be thrilled that I acknowledge him at all. And as long as I give God something, God ought to rejoice and accept it. And God says, absolutely not. And so Cain gets mad at God because God had a standard. Cain refused to meet that standard. And God would not lower the standard just for Cain. And I think in... And having this attitude, Cain sort of becomes the patron saint for our culture today. Our culture today has the mindset that basically says, anything I do ought to be accepted. No matter how little I try, it ought to be good enough. And we think of ways that we see it. I I think about, say, with students, with teachers. There's a standard. You do this, you get this grade. But what happens if the student doesn't do that and gets the lower grade? Does the student then say, oh, I'm sorry, it was my fault. I should have done my homework. Does the parents then say, I'm sorry, I should have ensured my child did their homework? Or do they say, I can't believe you gave my kid that grade. Isn't that what often happens? This is the the mindset of our culture. It is the mindset that Cain had. And and, and it it is such an ingrained part of our culture that we don't even notice it most of the time unless it affects us. Unless it affects us, we're the teacher or the whoever that's being sold this bill of goods. We don't even notice it. And because we don't notice it, we begin to embrace it in our own ways. And we begin to live it out in our own ways. And and one of the ways that we live it out is like Cain. It's in our relationship with the Lord. We, We know what God has said. We know that we are to deny ourselves and take up our crosses to follow Jesus. We know that we're to be holy as Jesus is holy. We know that we're to look for God's promised way of escape and temptation and then take it. 
We know that we're to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. We know we're to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We know we're to keep ourselves from idols. We know we're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. See, knowledge isn't the problem. We know these things. The problem is that we don't do those things. At least not consistently. Sadly, many times we don't even try to do those things. And if we were just going to ignore those things and and not do them, that would be one thing. But like Cain, we expect God to accept our nominal devotion. We don't do what God has told us to do. We don't even try to do what God has told us to do. And yet we have these expectations of what God is supposed to do for us. And oh my goodness. If my life gets hard. If something bad happens to me. Oh, the indignation. The righteous anger we have because God has failed us. God has let us down. When in reality, we we have never even tried to faithfully serve Him. Our mindset, even if we never say it, our mindset is, God should be happy that I acknowledge Him some. God should rejoice that I nominally live for Him. God should just be thrilled that I will tell people I'm a Christian. And we're saying as Cain did, God should accept whatever, whatever I offer Him, regardless of what His standard is. And what God says to us, no, I don't do that. I have a standard that I expect. And I will not lower it for you, or for me, or for anyone else. Take time and read the Gospels. Read about the people that turned and walked away from Jesus because his call for discipleship was too high. Look and and see what he did. Because it's an astounding thing. Jesus always did the same thing. He called for a high level of discipleship. And then people, some always turned and walked away. And do you know what he did every single time? He let them. He never lowered the standard for not one of them. And he won't lower it for us either. So God is now, I love verse 6. God comes to Cain and he begins to talk to him. Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? And I love this because I love the mercy and the grace that we see of God here. You know, Cain sinned. Cain knew what God had said and he chose to do otherwise. That's a sin. No matter how you burn it, that's a sin. And God would have been just in smiting Cain. Right there. He's dead. Everybody else pay attention. That's not what God does. Instead, God God goes to Cain. And he he calls Cain on the carpet for his sin. He, He doesn't bypass it. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't act like it's no big deal. He deals with Cain about his sin. Listen, I want you to understand. Anytime God deals with you about your sin, that is a good thing. God knew here that the wages of sin is death. 
And God could have let Cain live his life without ever dealing with him, without ever talking to him, and let him reap the harvest that he was going to earn, to to draw in his wages. But God wanted something for Cain other than death. He wanted Cain to have life. And so he came to Cain and he said, change what you're doing. The wages of sin is death in our lives as well. And God could very easily let us go headlong into death. But he loves us. And so he deals with us. And he calls us back from the way of death and says, come over here and live. Understand, conviction, correction from the Lord. Always an expression of his great love for you and his pursuit of sinners. And then God asks him, why? Why are you sad? And I I love this in verse 7. He said, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? See, Cain, God isn't rejecting Cain because he's mean. God hasn't rejected Cain's offering because he loves Abel more. God didn't flip a coin and say, I'll accept one and not the other. See, God would have accepted Cain had Cain simply done what God wanted him to do. But in this story, there is only one person that kept Cain and his sacrifice from being accepted by God. And it's Cain and his refusal to meet the standard that God has set. Do you know why some believers have a a deeper, closer relationship to the Lord than others do? Do you know why some believers have a better understanding of God's word than others do? Do you know why some believers experience the presence and the blessing of God more than others do? You know why some believers have richer prayer lives than others do. It's because some strive to do what God wants them to do in the way God wants it done. And others don't. See, there are no spiritual superheroes. God has no favorites. Every believer has the same access to God as every other believer. Billy Graham does not have a hotline to God that you and I do not have. Rick Warren does not have a connection to God that you and I do not have. If they have closer relationships to God, better prayer lives with God, and more experiences of God's presence than we do, it is because they try harder than we do. They are more faithful than we are. Each and every one of us can have close, intimate relationship with God if we do the things that God has us to do. If we do what God wants us to do in the way that God wants it done. We can all have a rich prayer life. We can all have a solid knowledge of God's Word. All it takes is for us to do what God has said to do and do it in the way that God has said it needs to be done. And we can all experience God in a rich and a powerful and a life-changing way. That's what God is telling him. You, you, 
you can be accepted like Cain was, like Abel was. You can have the same sort of relationship with me that Abel has. If Cain, you will just do what I want you to do. But he says there's something you've got to know. If you do not do well, sin lies at its door, lies at the door, and its desire is for you. You should rule over it. And here's where he's laying out the choice that, that, that Cain needs to make. He tells him that, that sin is kind of like a crouching predator like a lion. And you're the prey, Cain. And it's waiting for an opportunity to pounce. It's waiting for the opportunity to reach out and to grab you, to take you, to devour you. But sin Desired Cain like a hungry lion desires a gazelle. Very similar to the wording of Peter that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. See that sin is still like that. Sin is still lying at the door of all of our lives. It is still crouching and waiting, trying to master us. That's its goal. But sin is never content just to exist in our lives. It wants to control our lives. Remember what I read in Romans 6? That you become slaves to whom you submit yourself to. When we submit ourselves to a little sin here, sin is not going to be content to just stay there. It wants to rule over our lives. And God tells Cain that you have a choice to make. You can fight to rule over your sin Or you can let your sin rule over you. And that's the decision that lays before all of us. Each one of us, we have to choose. I must fight to master my sin. Or my sin will master me. This is what we have to deal with. This is what we have to understand. See, the Bible does promise victory. For the believer over sin. But it does not promise that independent of our efforts. It does not promise that independent of our striving. And our doing what we can. This this choice to fight to master our sin. Is, is probably the most important choice we will make. In regards to fighting our sin. This choice, more than any other, will probably determine whether or not we live in victory or whether we live in defeat. Because I promise you, there is no victory over sin without fighting to master your sin. There is no coasting through life and accepting what comes and living in victory at the same time. You must fight to master your sin. Or without fail. Your sin will master you. So that choice is now laid before Cain. And it says in verse 8, Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass that when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Cain, unfortunately, Refused to fight to master his sin. And so his sin 
mastered him. And we see that there is a progression to what happens when we fail to fight to master our sin. Sin dominates us. And it controls us. And it takes us deeper into sin than we really ever intended to go. I mean, do you think that there was ever a time in Cain's life where he sat up and said, one day I'm going to get so mad at God I'll kill my brother? I mean, do you ever think that he, he had that idea? No. I don't think he did. I think by failing to master his sin, his sin mastered him, and then it drew him deeper and deeper into sin until he killed his brother. That's always what happens. Sin always draws us deeper and deeper as it masters us. It is never content to set in one area or in one way. It always spreads. It always seeks for control. And then it always leads us deeper and deeper into sin. Far, far more than we ever thought possible. Think about these biblical examples. Saul never thought he would have all the priests of God and their families murdered. But he did. Because he failed to master his sin and his sin mastered him. David never thought he'd get another man's wife pregnant and then order the husband's murder to keep it a secret. But he did. Because he failed to fight to master his sin, and so his sin mastered him. Judas never thought he'd betray the Messiah and then commit suicide, but he did. Because he failed to fight to master his sin, and so his sin mastered him. Demas never thought he'd let his love of the world cause him to abandon his faith, but he did. Because he failed to fight to master his sin, and so his sin mastered him. Sin always masters us when we fail to fight it. And then it draws us deeper and deeper and deeper into it. This is always, always what happens. And God comes to Cain again. Verses 9 through 15. The Lord said, Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And you till the ground, will no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Cain said, my punishment is is greater than I can bear. Surely you've driven me out this day from the face of the ground, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me, will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and dwelt in the land of Nod in the east of Eden. This time when God comes to him, God doesn't come to turn Cain back. This time God just comes and brings judgment. Again, there's an important principle that we've got to learn here. God is long-suffering and merciful and gracious so, so very much. There comes a point to which God ceases to bring mercy and God brings justice and judgment. See, sin, sin always has a cost. We are free to take part in sin all that we want to. As long as we understand that there is always a cost associated with our sin. There is a cost associated with letting our sin 
master us. Uh, it cost Abel his life. Abel didn't even sin. The sin of another affected Abel and cost him his life. Sin cost Adam and Eve their sons. One son was murdered, the other son driven away by God. They lost their family in one fell swoop. Sin cost Cain his family. He had to leave them. He had to go away and be a vagabond from that point on. Sin caused Cain's life to be unnecessarily difficult. The ground would no longer yield its fruit for him. How are you going to survive in a world with no Walmart if the ground doesn't provide for you? His life was going to be far harder, far more difficult than it needed to be simply because of sin. Sin cost Cain his relationship with the Lord. He left the presence of the Lord. Sin cost Cain his reputation. He was a, a vagabond and a fugitive. And that's what everyone knew him as. Sin cost Cain his peace of mind. He, he was afraid. People who see me will kill me. He lived in constant fear because of his sin. Sin always has a cost. I mean, that is something you can be absolutely certain of. In our lives, we are going to be tempted to sin. We are going to wrestle with our sinful nature. Sin will always look good, but it always comes at a cost. Sin always has consequences. Now here's a truth about sin that you can write down. Sin always Overpromises and underdelivers. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Sin promises pleasure first and foremost. That's why we do it. Sin pl- promises us pleasure, and the Bible acknowledges that there is pleasure in sin for a season. The Bible does not say sin is not fun, because it is for a small period of time. There is immediate pleasure in giving in to the temptation. There is pleasure from the moment. But once the moment passes, the bill for sin comes. And the bill is always far more than what we wanted to pay. Consider these examples from the Bible. Adam and Eve, they didn't want to be banished from the Garden of Eden. Right? Sin cost us more than we were willing to pay. Adam and Eve, they didn't want to be banished from the Garden of Eden. They just wanted to eat the fruit and stay in the garden with God. That's not what happened. Cain didn't want to be a fugitive and a vagabond. He just didn't want his brother to make him look bad anymore. He just wanted to maybe be seen as the good son for a change. But he didn't want to be a vagabond and a fugitive in the earth. Saul didn't want his dynasty to end with him. He just didn't want to do what God told him to do. David didn't want family strife for the rest of his life. He didn't want his sons to rebel against him. But it happened because of his sin. Judas and Demas, they didn't want to go to hell. Tiger Woods didn't want to lose his family. Ted Haggard didn't want to resign his church in disgrace. Jimmy Swaggart didn't want to become the poster child for immoral televangelists. And so many others didn't want what sin brought into their lives. 
but they had to pay it because sin always has a cost. There is always a consequence of ignoring God and rejecting Him. Cain's experience with sin and its consequences are not unique. We see here. We could all probably think of personal examples of people like that who failed to master their sin and so their sin mastered them and it drew them to places they they never really thought they would go. It cost them far more than they ever really wanted to pay. Perhaps you even have been drawn away into sin in such a fashion. And while Cain's experiences with sin are are not unique, they are still tragic nonetheless. They're tragic because it doesn't have to be this way. See, none of that actually had to happen. Adam and Eve didn't have to be banished from the garden. Saul didn't have to have his dynasty end. Jonathan could have been king. David could have lived with godly sons that didn't rebel against him. Judas, Demas could have gone to heaven. Tiger Woods could have kept his family. Ted Haggard could have stayed a pastor. So could Jimmy Swaggart. And all the people we know could have been spared from the consequences that happened if they had just fought to master their sin instead of letting their sin master them. So make no mistake, you'll not be the exception. Because we always think we will be. I mean, I think it's an interesting thing how we act in life. Because we say things like, everybody should be held to the same standard. But as a general rule, what we mean is everybody but me. Right? Because if you're speeding... If if you're going down Sunset Lane and somebody flies past you, you hope the police pull them over and give them a ticket because they're maniacs, don't they? But if you're speeding down Sunset Lane and you get pulled over, don't you think you should be let go? Because you had a really good reason why you were speeding down Sunset Lane. You, you, You should be the exception. And when other people sin and they let their sin master them and they suffer the consequences, we understand that they they got what they deserved and it's tragic, but that's what happens when you reject God. But we often feel that we can do it and we'll be okay. Maybe maybe because we're teenagers and, and God doesn't hold teenagers to the same standard that he holds adults to. That's a lie from the devil. If as a teenager, you let your sin master you, it will destroy you just as surely as it did anyone on that list. You can come up with any reason why you'll be the exception. And that reason is a lie from the devil. Because he wants to destroy you and devour you and kill you. If you fail to fight to master your sin, your sin will master you and it will take you further deeper into sin than you ever anticipated you would go. And it will cost you far more, far more than you ever wanted to pay. So how do we, how do we fight our sins so that we can win? Well, in all honesty, this passage doesn't give us that answer. It's beyond the scope of this message. But I want to give you a couple of things to do that I think will help. Number one, Come back next week. In fact, come back every week. It's a four-week series. And every message gives us an aspect of what we need to do to fight to 
master our sin so that we can live a life of victory. Next week we're going to study and we'll see that we fight sin through spirit-fueled, fruit-judging effort. We'll see what that means and how that can help us. Every week we'll learn something that will help us in our struggle against sin, that will help us to live in victory, that we, that we can live in. Secondly, memorize 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. Memorize it in whatever translation you normally use. Now, this is not a silver bullet, but it has a lot of good stuff in it. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Three things this passage teaches us that helps us to fight sin. Number one is everyone's tempted just like you are. You know that one of the things that the devil does to, to try to get us to be mastered by our sin is to condemn us. Right? How many of you have had this experience? You're tempted. And even if you don't give into it, you're wrestling with it. And suddenly you just feel worthless. Like, you know, surely if I was really a Christian, surely if I was really loved Jesus, this temptation wouldn't be here. I wouldn't feel like this was a good thing to do. I wouldn't want to go and do this. Where do you think that comes from? It's the devil. The devil brings condemnation. God never does. God brings conviction that brings us to a change. Condemnation makes us say, why bother? I'm worthless. I'm a failure. I can't do it. And what the devil does through condemnation and temptation is say, nobody else struggles with sin like you do. You're the only person in that church that struggles with sin. The rest of them folks, they live like they should. You're just sorry. You're terrible. You ought to just give it up. But you know what? When you memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and that there's no temptation taking you, but such as common to man, you remember, everyone struggles with sin just like I do. And the devil loses his grip of condemnation. And so you can continue to fight. But secondly, it shows us that God is for you during your temptation. God is faithful. And allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. We're probably very aware of the idea that God is for us if we're doing what's right. But are you aware of the fact that if you're struggling with temptation, if in that moment when you, everything within you wants to go headlong into that, in that moment God is for you there too. In that moment God is at work. In that moment God is not just sitting back saying, I hope they make the right choice. In that moment God is at work in you. His Spirit is telling you, don't. His Spirit is drawing you away. And at the same time, the faithful God is doing something else. And that brings us to the last thing it teaches us. There's always a way out. See, part of the way that God shows that He is faithful is that He ensures there is always a way that we can get out of temptation without sinning. Any temptation you face this week, whether it is a temptation to lust, or a temptation to be sexually immoral, or a temptation to cuss somebody out, or a temptation to gossip, or a temptation to act in an ungodly manner, there will be a way that you can escape that temptation without giving in to that temptation. God ensures that. You never, as a believer, if you're an unbeliever, that's a whole different story. But if you have truly repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ, there is always a way out. There is always a God-designed way 
that you can escape the temptation without giving in to sin. Memorizing 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 helps you to remember that there is a way. That you can look for that way. And you can take that way. I believe if you do these two things. If you come back. If you memorize this verse. It will help. I want to live victorious in my life. I don't want to be inconsistent. I don't want to sort of kind of experience freedom and victory. I want to experience the Romans 6 and Romans 8 victory that the Bible said should be mine. And I'm sure you do as well. Everything we talk about for the next month is going to help with that. But none of that we're going to talk about, here's the facts, none of that will matter if you don't first fight to master your sin. Because next week we're looking how it takes effort. The week after that we're going to look at how to destroy strongholds in our mind, but that will take effort. And the week after that, we're going to look and we're going to see that it's going to take how to be a better, how to be a stronger Christian. We're going to learn from the example of Samson of what not to do. But guess what that's going to take? Effort. Not once in this message, in this series, am I going to tell you, pray this prayer and suddenly everything's going to get better. Because that's a lie that does not exist. There is no secret magic prayer that someone discovered that will help you to live in victory over sin. It doesn't exist. Victory over sin is found. In the fact that Jesus lives within you, and He will empower you to fight to master your sin. If you are not willing to fight to master your sin, your sin will master you. And it will lead you deeper and deeper into sin and cost you so much more than you ever, ever wanted to pay. Let's stand as our musicians come forward.